0: episode of the PA Path podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Lohenry and we are glad you could join us as we seek to better understand the PA profession.
1: A lot of things in life you can't plan anyway, but you want to be able to take advantage of them if you have, have the chance.
0: Well welcome to season two for the PA Path Podcast. My partner in crime, Stephanie Vandermillen, and I are excited to bring you new insights into the profession, including the international growth of the profession. Some of the roles that PAs have evolved into in our country and additional insights into PA programs around the United States as well. In the coming weeks, we'll be introducing you to the profession in Canada, Great Britain, Germany, Ireland and the Netherlands, before delving into some of the clinical leadership roles that PAs have assumed before navigating back to some of the other outstanding PA programs throughout the United States. Today, we are thrilled to speak with the National treasure in our profession, Miss Ruth Balwig. Ruth is a Professor Emeritus for the University of Washington MedEx Northwest Department of Family Medicine. She was one of the first trained PAs in Southern Oregon and is the editor and contributor to the first textbook written on PA training, which has now been named after her. Balwig's Physician Assistant, a guide to clinical practice, has been the key textbook for PA programs nationally, and the work she has done over the past 40 plus years in both our country and internationally has helped our profession grow immensely. Oh, Top of the morning to you, Ruth.
1: How are you?
0: I'm fine. How are you doing?
1: Good. Are you in California or Arizona?
0: I'm in California today. Well, Ruth, thank you so much for joining us today. It is such an honor to have you join us on the podcast. You have done such impressive things over the course of your career as a PA. And really, you know, in all honesty, any PA worth their salt knows your name uh, because of the impact that you have made in their own education related to the textbook that you've contributed to our profession, to the scholarly publications. There's just so much. We have so much to talk about. Let's start by just talking about your path to becoming a PA. It's an impressive story and I'd love for you to share it with the audience.
1: Well, so I grew up in Southern Oregon on the Oregon-California border town called Medford, basically halfway between San Francisco and Portland. But the problem is that if people were really sick, they had to go to San Francisco or Portland back then. You know, it had two small community hospitals, but then the polio epidemic hit. I was five. And people, a number of people died because they couldn't get to the nearest iron lungs. And so my father, who was a control tower operator, uh, FAA was CA then, and pilot himself and a World War II veteran created America's first not-for-profit air ambulance service. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, they raised money from the community. They had uh, all these characters on the board. You know, they had a couple of ministers, a couple of doctors, a couple of nurses, a couple of orchardists. Anyway, so first they got a twin Cessna, and then they got a single engine, Dinson Reliant, where you could land in very, very tiny places. That was 1949. And I basically grew up as part of Mercy Flights, hanging out at the airport, doing all kinds of things from running the scrapbook to cleaning the planes to yada, 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 forever.
0: That is yeah. so interesting.
1: Yeah, and it, but it was really good experience because I sort of got adopted by all these World War II pilots. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turned out that was uh, a really good benefit if you're going to work in medicine with male doctors at the time (laughs) (laughs) you
0: you had some skills that you learned from those guys
1: i was kind of thick-skinned and i i'd also just kind of give it back to them and and so that was um that's still an important part mercy flights exists still today what a
0: tremendous legacy
1: yeah. And my daughter is now on, who lives here in Seattle, but she's on the board of Mercy Flights
0: now. Oh, that is fantastic.
1: Yeah. So anyway, that was that was my growing up years. And I had originally thought about going to medical school. But first of all, going to medical school for a woman in the early 60s, late 50s and 60s was a horrible experience. I I know you probably know some women docs who were trained during that time in boy, it was uh, it, it was a struggle. Just They didn't have their own bathrooms. They didn't have dressing rooms. I mean, just to make it this simple as it. But it turned out that wasn't going to work for me. I still had, my mother was very ill and I was the oldest kid. So once again, EAs, many of them have a history of, of being the sort of responsible leader in their family, which is interesting. And uh, so instead I decided to be a state in Ashland, Oregon. I had a couple of Kids. My kids are now 51 and 53. I don't know how that happened. And I became a social worker, a childbirth educator, a breastfeeding counselor, and uh, an advocate for policies about that in the two hospitals. Then once my kids got older, actually when, when my first child, my daughter was born and I was sitting up in the night and nursing her and reading all of a sudden an article about this PA movement. And I thought, bingo, I'm going to do that. And, uh, it turned out to be all those things and more. But anyway, so then I went to medics in, I think, 76, came back. I was, I think, the first woman PA in Oregon, and uh, in Ashland, Oregon. And and uh, what was fun about that was I was a female PA, of which there were hardly any. Sure. Um, a good friend who was a nurse, a male nurse, became a nurse practitioner when all nurse practitioners were women. <laughs> <laughs> and. And, and uh, we stuck together. We'd known each other forever. So while the director of nursing tried to disenfranchise us, it never worked. We also did all the sex education in town for the five, the five grade schools. Wow. Which was pretty funny. And uh, it sure. gave us a lot of visibility, including one day Steve came out and he's just, he's laughing so hard. He, just, he can't stand up straight. And I said, what happened? He said, well, it finally happened. The little boy asked me a question I've been waiting for. I said, oh, no. He said, well, so, Mr. Joslin, you and your wife have two kids, so that means you must have done it three, maybe five times. <laughs> Steve says, no. And then the little boy says, how many? And Steve says, millions of times. <laughs> All the little boys jumped up and hid under their desk. <laughs> and if you don't think the whole town heard about that.
0: Oh, you, I'm you sure
1: there within about 10 minutes. So anyway.
0: <laughs> that is that is really precious.
1: Anyway, so then finally I I decided and so I in Ashland I was the first PA, as I told you, I worked for a family doc that I worked with before. And and back in the day when you were chosen to go to PA school, they chose your preceptor at the same time and they site visited them ahead of time because of course these were jobs that had to be created. And if you didn't have an advocate, in this case, there were 12 docs in this town. And eventually I spent time with all of them during that. My- mm-hmm. But eventually my husband and I got divorced and it turned out, friendly divorce, we were, by the way, one of the first friend couples in Oregon to have a joint custody arrangement, which was very successful. We thought we could still write a book about that and pretty funny.
0: You probably should.
1: <laughs> yeah. So then I, I took a, a job up in Bremerton in the health department in a Navy town right across from Seattle, I'm sure you know. Again, I was the first PA, and uh, I did this for two, two years. Uh, doing a, the interesting thing about that job was, again, when we came in, there had been some nurses that were, there was another nurse practitioner who came in at the same time as I, but it turned out the nurses were lying in wait for us. They were just waiting for us, and they assumed we'd hate each other. Well, that's not the case. I was later at the delivery of both, both of her sons, and I still see her three or four times a year. So, so much for that.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And I think that's kind of a theme that a lot of PAs early on will, will tell you. I don't know if you had that experience, but but you know the people that while while they wanted to separate us, the people that were opposed to PAs and But in reality, we had good friends and we made good friends.
0: I was the second PA at my hospital in uh, Winfield, Illinois, and I found that the the we got along fabulously because the docs were always they didn't want to bother the docs for orders. Right, right. So, yeah, their
1: advantage. Yeah,
0: yeah, we were we were kind of their helper by proxy and and they were just and and I also think I had this conversation with a sociologist from Stanford a a few episodes ago. I think we're just different sociologically. I'm I'm curious your background as a social worker. I would imagine that was great preparation for this kind of concept of bringing on a new profession.
1: Right, it was, and and you know, a lot of the skill set was very similar. You know, asking unpopular questions, and and also following up, and and you know, breaking doors down from the client. So not too different, really. Yeah, uh, more hands on, literally, but the, but the same sort of advocacy, and uh, which was I still think the best part the, about all of our roles is amazing that what we've accomplished by having a certain attitude. Sure. But, while I was there my goal by the way in moving up to Washington State aside from that it was a good job in public health but my real goal was to get to do some teaching at the medics program because at the time there weren't that many great teachers in the medics program as a matter of fact at at the time that we went to medics all of us were older than the program director and the medical director
0: which is always a challenge
1: (laughs) and they were very insecure about that so they were. Unfortunately, there were 24 of us and only two of them. So that didn't work very well. <laughs> but and eventually, of course, PAs became program directors and that problem went away. But anyway, yeah. uh, so I began giving lectures. I began uh, there was an opening position. So I applied and became a faculty person at MedEx in late 1980. At that time, there were three PAs that were the regular faculty. There still was a physician director. And and by the way, the interesting thing at that particular time was that there there were some PAs from the East Coast that were trained in some of the New York programs that didn't raise hell with the state licensing board because they didn't feel that people trained in the medics model, the West Coast model, were as good as they were.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah, right. But fortunately, the original docs that were the first preceptors for medic were all in rural areas where there was a huge need for us, or they were Group Health, now Kaiser. And so they weren't quite the right people to argue with, but we spent quite a bit of time justifying at the legislative board and so forth. And in 1985, I became the program
0: director. Of 1985.
1: Yeah. Okay. That was a while ago. So I, th- I think an important thing to know about University of Washington Medical School is it is, until just recently, uh, was the only medical school for five states. Twenty-seven percent of the land mass of the United States.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that was one of the key things of your kind of development of the PA profession because of that, right? right? Because you That's you were right. able to expand in satellites to other areas right. uh, when there was a need.
1: That's right. Areas also. Because the medical school, they had some really strong, wonderful family docs who were deans and associate deans and chairs and whatever. And they would travel to those other states, go to legislative hearings, yada, yada, yada. So I, of course, went along and got to know all the people in the other state. But it was just uh, really interesting to think. And I'm still on the admissions committee for the medical school, which I I think is a good investment. Yeah. Good docs to be good preceptors.
0: Ruth, would you say that your, your experiences in building satellites and, and those relationships you developed in Alaska and in Spokane and Tacoma and and L.A. and other places as medics really helped other states grow their own programs? Well, Utah. The medics
1: mission originally, you
0: know. Yeah. Do you think that's where you developed your interest in uh, taking it internationally? Because I, I would imagine some of those same skill sets really applied to helping countries think about this as a solution. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I think i think that's probably true and, and it didn't feel uh scary to me in in, in any way and, and also i think the thing to know about and you know this from having worked in a number of states that what works one place doesn't always work the next place you yeah. know you have to you have to personalize it first of all to the people you're working with and then and then you have to so i i think it's still kind of funny uh, that there are some people in pas in the us that think that PAs are all alike, and all the training programs are all alike, and it, it wouldn't work. First of all, no, we wouldn't like it as
0: well either. But, but. <laughs> <laughs> we're a bit Mustang our our, our sociologic yeah. bend, I think.
1: Yeah, and so I think I think from there to jump to the international stuff didn't seem um, too strange, and it still doesn't seem too strange because I think the same principles still apply, and you know, it's even if PA programs sums in the U S are in medical school, some aren't, you know, they, they've kind of bloom where they're planted. Yeah. And then I, I think the role varies more across the U S than people think, I mean, it's not just one role and, and we wouldn't like it if it was actually.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think having, having done my training in Chicago and then, then I moved to Arizona and then I moved to LA, there are variations, right. Yeah. And, and, and the utilization is slightly different across all three mm-hmm. areas. Mm-hmm. So, so, so I, I fast forwarded a little bit, but, but essentially from MedEx, you know, you, you developed this, this great program that started to really meet the needs of the, of the communities around those five States. Mm-hmm. And you also lended your expertise to some of the programs that I mentioned, like UPAP and Charles yeah. Drew, right? Right. Um. And, and when did you really start to get involved in the national leadership team?
1: Well, I think, uh, Back in the day that I became in 85, let's say, when I was a program director, there were only 50 programs. So yeah. And we were all both supporting each other and fighting with each other because there was only so much federal money available, and we had to get that money. I would say one of the first things I got involved in was the federal government, HRSA, decided to offer some classes at APAP, still APAP, mm-hmm. and workshops on how to write grants,
0: so this is the association of PA programs at yeah, that time. yeah,
1: Right. Yeah. But, but nobody knew how to write grants. And also before that, they'd had, you know, that was the turnover, I think, of when there were fewer and fewer docs that were program directors and more and more of us. I think there were 12 people that became program directors a year that I became program director. And we all had to write a, a grant to stay alive. Sure. And what we decided to do at this workshop they taught that we went to, we decided to interlock our our grants. So they, if they turn one down, they have to turn down six or seven of them. We had interlocking. It was fun.
0: That's very crafty.
1: It was. And we got to know each other even better. So we we would have some exchange teachers. I worked a lot with Richard uh, Rare and Galveston and Harry Stolberg and Hahnemann and uh, Reggie a little bit. Anyway. So this is a Reg
0: Carter at Duke. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So we were all trying to learn how to write these grants. So they fit. and and then a number of us ended up being on the grant review teams. And anyway, one thing led to another. And then I started being asked to go to, you know, help out some programs that were in trouble for a variety of reasons. Uh, And then there weren't that many people to run for PAEA, for APAP, whatever, the board, there weren't that many people that had either the availability or the time, whatever. But I just decided, well, what the heck, you know, because I had some things I wanted to accomplish. And we, we did decide uh, to offer some workshops for universities that wanted to. Uh, and that became very successful. Uh-huh. So, you know, one thing leads to another, leads to another. Tim Hammond and I were pretty much in charge of that. And we, we did four or five of them um, all around the country. And lo and behold, they, programs did emerge out of those. And sometimes there were some consultant jobs that people were willing to take it on. And we decided that unless some of us were willing to do that, we'd be missing opportunities and we wouldn't be getting what we wanted. So, um, that is kind of how that happened. And at, at the same time, uh, The Netherlands would be the example of the first project that was happening in. And then uh, I went to the UK. We spoke at some international PA conferences. One of the reasons we decided to do that is that we wanted to be sure that, that the right institutions develop PA programs, and we couldn't actually make that choice, but we could screen them and help them. And, you know, so, yeah. So,
0: so the workshop almost stood as a way to craft content that helped them understand the realities right. of doing an excellent program.
1: Yeah. In the middle of that also, again, not my intention. I decided to run for the board for group health cooperative here in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And I spent nine years on their board, including two years of their chair. Wow. It was it was a wonderful
0: experience. I'm I sure was, it was fascinating, right? Cause you had a chance to see healthcare from a totally different perspective.
1: Right. And and an innovative, you know, not honey grubbing perspective, but really from a community base. So yeah. So that was that was another thing that also probably led me to think about the international stuff. Because that was sort of more similar. How do you I mean we were all, you know, after you've been a program director for a while, I don't mean that you've learned it all, but you know what the culture is. But that's not all you have to do. And so uh, working and developing things internationally, you really have to think about, you have to interact with, with the employers. You have to interact with, uh, and every country has its own issue that it's working on.
0: Right. And and their own Ministry of Health and approach to oh, licensure and recognition. Yeah, it's very complex, right?
1: It is. Also, though probably wouldn't have been as much fun if, it, if, it, if they were all doing the same thing. Yeah. So, and, and I don't know that it would have been in the same way that I think that our success in the U S means that we were able to adapt to the regions. And that's. that's, it. that's
0: so you, you had alluded to the, Netherlands. were they really the first international community to establish the PA profession?
1: They really got it up and running. I think there were some others that talked about it along the way. Okay. And talking about, people in Canada, for example, by the way, still working on getting PAs in British Columbia. Oh, my goodness.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and yet they're so organized across the other provinces. It's really interesting to watch how strong they become so quickly. That's right. So at one point you ended up being asked by Janet Lathrop at the NCCPA to head up an international exploratory opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that when you really started to formalize that role and, and really become... Sort of our ambassador of the profession internationally
1: um halfway, so uh in the meantime um and, and and the interesting thing about that i was i don't know if you remember, but I was chair elect for the n c c p a board and i do asked me um, you know, she sort of dreamed up this job, which was perfect, and it was perfect for me, and so I stepped down as being the chair. But I'm still in that role, as you know. The nice thing about that is that it's still a job that I'm kind of making up as I go along. I mean, Mm -hmm. for example, I haven't been traveling this last couple of years. Of course. But I was talking to some people. Things are heating up again in a good way in Australia. And I'm hoping to get over there uh, mid-year, perhaps. But, But also, at the same time, I had gotten to know... Uh, a bunch of the docs that were interested in getting PA started in both Australia, Queensland, Australia, and also in New Zealand. So before I was doing the NCCPA thing, I had a consulting job that I was paid for to help them set up their pilot projects. That they were doing. Nice. They had, and that was really fun. So it had to do with, there were six or seven American PAs that went to New Zealand. That was the second pilot. The first, there were about eight. They were in Queensland. A couple of people down in Adelaide they were only there for one year so that was by the way the first mistake that wasn't long enough sure um, it, it was long enough some of them felt they need to return home and be with their aging parents but so the second one doing it for uh, two years in New Zealand was much better mm-hmm. and we also ch- sort of chose people I, I helped choose, recruit and choose the people for both of them. So,
0: so these we were American PAs did. that you, yeah. you placed there so that they could uh, get a chance to experience what the PA's knowledge and skills were.
1: That's right. Okay. And uh, so uh, the second, the, the New Zealand people were all people that didn't have a lot of family responsibilities to hurry back to. So they were, they knew they were going to be there for two years and that was, that worked out fine, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, They all did go back except for one who had already married a Kiwi. And there are, there are PAs there working, even though there isn't officially a PA law yet, they're working on it.
0: That's exciting.
1: So it was really fun to work on those pilots. As As a matter of fact, in New Zealand, back to my small airplane days, I they I think I visited every small rural hospital in New Zealand. Wow. I mean, you can't buy that kind of experience. Oh, my God, it was wonderful. And some really amazing places. And a lot of them reminded me of, you know, Northern California, Oregon, you know, the same kind of small towns with the same kind of people. Mm-hmm. That, you know, were are wanting the interesting thing about both of these. Is we tried to keep them at a generalist primary care role, and that was, I think, very wise. Um, the PAs knew that the docs initially were afraid that they were going to take come and take over their specialty roles, but that didn't happen. So, yeah. so, um, so I had already been doing those two projects as a consultant. First one, and then the other. Still in touch with all those people. A lot of things in life you can't plan, you know, but you want to be able to advantage of them if you have had the chance so this just kind of grew a little bit at a time and then uh, more and more of the pa either new pas or potential pas or you know leaders tech leaders did start coming to both aapa and paea meetings they met some other people that was good yeah and then sometimes their institutions already had relationships that's one of the reasons colorado got involved in the programs in south africa because they're especially their Department of Pediatrics, had links to a bunch of universities. And
0: yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You, you already yeah. have that linkage. So,
1: Back to your original question. The first outside of USPA programs would be in India. And the reason is that we, we didn't, couldn't find this out until we actually were in India. But uh, it turns out that the, the person there, I'm sorry, I can't tell you his name right now, who was uh, India's number one, pediatric cardiac surgeon did his residency in Alabama.
0: Hmm.
1: And while he was there, he met the director of the PA program, but also a big person in the medical school. And so he basically gave him the curriculum Mm -hmm. and he went back, but it was very much a a surgery model and still is very much a surgery model. And there's some other docs that went over some docs from Portland, Oregon also were involved in this. They were all cardiac surgeons. So, and there is no primary care in India.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting health system, right? From what I understand, there is a real strong emphasis on building your own hospital. If right. you're a successful surgeon, you have yeah. your own hospital, and you you. Uh, and so it's a lot of specialty hospitals rather than That's uh, right. primary care concept. So,
1: and big egos also involved in having done that. Sure, but but very but very interesting, and they're now, you know, wanting to rethink that a little bit. So, but.
0: I I don't mean to take us off off track here, but but I'm just it's just an observation. When you joined the profession, the profession was well, when I joined the profession in 1994, Mm -hmm. it was 70 percent male, 30 percent female. So I suspect that when you joined the profession, it might have even been higher on the male side. Yeah. And now as a program director with a program where it's 70 percent women, 30 percent men, you know, I think it's a really interesting observation just just to have you have navigated through that all those years. And, and in my own observations of you, Ruth, I think maybe I'm mischaracterizing you, but my sense is you just don't pay attention to that. You just kind of ignore it and keep going to your point. Right. And and people finally say, you know, what, we're not going to knock her off track. So let's just. Right. Learned to deal with her and to work with her.
1: I, th- I think that's true. I, I notice it, by the way. I file it away, and I'm always looking for allies and so forth. But I don't, I don't take it personally. Very seldom do I take it really personally. That doesn't mean it hasn't happened,
0: but sure.
1: But I do think it, it, It's interesting when I was at the Medics program as a student. It was the first year, well, two years before that they had made a deal and the, and the medics program trained nurses in, in what became the NP program. Mm-hmm. And then two or three years later in my class, there were 21 of us. I think there were seven or eight women. Right. Okay. And, and so we went to the state PA academy. We were invited to go to their meeting, whatever. And they always invited the president of the medical association to come and give a luncheon talk. And he came and he said, Oh my goodness. This is a really different look than usual. I'm so glad you guys brought your wives so they could be there.
0: <laughs> oh my god!
1: Oh well, no. you know, I, no, I no. had I can only respond. You know, I said, "Excuse me."
0: <laughs>
1: and he he uh. saved himself, actually. As a matter of fact, he was the first black physician to be the president of the state medical association.
0: Wow! Wow!
1: Yeah, but anyway, I have, first people are sitting there. Is anyone going to say something? I said, "Yes!" Oh my god!
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's something to admire that you were able to become so successful despite that obvious challenge that women today still experience on the, on the sad note, you know, I I, I've served on the gender equity and medicine science group at USC. And, and uh, I see these brilliant, brilliant physicians and, and, and PhDs and and leaders who are also women. Mm -hmm. And I see the trauma and pain that they've experienced through Mm -hmm. this lens, which is just sad. And they outnumber the men now, but yet the men are still just not appropriate. And it's really frustrating.
1: Right. right. And I think it is true. I, you know, I was really glad in retrospect that I did not go to medical school for that reason. Yeah. And, and I have friends, women friends who are peers of mine who did go to medical school and they are still bruised about it. I mean, after all this time, and there were no, for example, there were no no women's bathrooms in a lot of hospitals, and uh, yeah.
0: So we, so we really haven't come a long way. I mean, you, we've come no. a ways, but not a long way. We still have a well,
1: long way to I, go. I still think, though, that 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 needs to be emphasized more in PA school than it is, um, yeah. because I think, I mean, first of all, nurses have their own culture of how they've battled that. Some of the same techniques, don't, but, yeah. but I still think. Uh, it was interesting when we moved in back to the medical school one of the things i negotiated was i thought what the hell i'll ask for a seat on the medical school executive committee well damned if they didn't say yes so anyway that that is the chairs of all the clinical departments and also all the basic science department
0: yeah i boy i wonder what they were thinking when you asked that that's fantastic that you (laughs) you you had the audacity to ask for something like that which i think is admirable and so and so often we talked about 50. the yeah. yeah of course of course but but what a great way to get in there and then make sure that they are seeing the world through a different lens
1: right and what was cool was there were a pair of family medicine and the dean for regional affairs they really pushed it they were friends of mine and yeah. so it, but, but when i first went there i had never thought that i would be the only woman and there was a secretary at the other end of the table and this is like 30 people right yeah and fortunately one of these docs that was my sponsor, John Toombs, who used to be on the RPA, among other things, he said, You think they don't treat you nicely. Watch how they treat each other. They're not very nice to each other either. Yeah. So what I would do is I would guy I made a rule. I would go 15 minutes early, hang around around the coffee pot, and I'd stay 15 minutes later and finish up the conversation. And I would challenge myself to ask at least three three public questions every meeting. That's good. And that was that was doable. And you know, so one on one, you could say, "Well, can I get an appointment with you?" and give me give my name to your secretary, so she'll do that and that and that sort of thing. But one thing I found out that they were, <laughs> they were um, three or four of them were men in their sixties and seventies, and they all had prostate problems. Mm-hmm. The only way you could tell was that they'd get up and leave really quickly. Or they'd come back, <laughs> and 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 at first, these guys were wondering whether I noticed that, you know. And of course, I didn't say anything for a while, but then I started talking about menopause and all of a sudden I passed and they just kept talking about anything <laughs> and, and after that because they realized I wasn't going to freak out, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and maybe audacity is not the right word, but chutzpah, like you, yeah, you, you yeah. you had no fear, which was at least not outwardly.
1: It was, well, I noticed it, but it was, it was, it was what you learned from those your five-year-old girl with World War II pilots. I mean, it's, I'm serious. That really made a big difference about how you think about
0: things. Oh, I, I have no doubt. Just having hung around pilots for my Navy career, it's it is a it's a special, unique world. Very, they're very myopic in some ways.
1: Oh, they are. They are. And in and, and part of my job, part of my role when I was growing up was that they had to help me learn to drive, meaning that I had to demonstrate before them that I could change a tire. Mm-hmm. There's like ten pilots watching me change a tire, <laughs> and I learned. That I had to. I had to learn. I had to paint the oil in a Volkswagen. And wow. All they were required before I could. My dad would take me to get my driver's license. So you know, you could be pissed about that, or you say, "Well, whatever." And they would just tease me. You know, you can imagine.
0: Oh, of course, they they loved it. I'm sure it kept them young. I'm, so.
1: Entertainment. Yeah, I was partly yeah. the entertainment,
0: so. So when you look back at the where you were at when you first started working with the NCCPA on international things, and you look at where we're at today, Canada is growing exponentially. And, and what an impressive uh, group they, ha- they have up there in terms of their PR and, and really advocating right. for, I mean, we just celebrated uh, National Physician Assistant Day up there last weekend. yeah. yeah. And uh the UK is growing like crazy Ireland with Lisa Alexander and and their group over there you've got the you know the Germans with uh, Marcus Hoffman, the Netherlands of course you know what do you think it's going to look like maybe five to ten years from now?
1: I still think I would say in terms of what we could do national internationally if the world was all right <laughs> I think we're only at about 25 percent of what the amount of work that's still can be done Mm -hmm. and there there are different countries in different stages, you know, I mean, and so we get setbacks just like we got setbacks in the United States periodically. So I think it's, it's going well, but it's also about getting the next generation of leaders because I don't plan to stop doing this as long as I can, but uh, you want to get more people also. So there's mentoring of people there as potential leaders too. Sure. Interesting. So I, I don't think we're going to run out of work to do. And I think, but I do think that it's important that we, the specific things we do are less important because they're, but I think still we should, we should still be about access. I think, And if we're not about access, then I'm not so interested, you know, because we have, whether it's access because people don't have money or because they don't have a hospital or whatever. So, so what's interesting is you get wound up in a good way of wound up, when you're in these places of how this actually fits in the larger system. And then you end up meeting more people that want to know, what do you think we could do? I mean, what's happening? So that's, that's exciting.
0: I don't know how you answer this question, but what are maybe the two or three things that you are most proud of as you look back?
1: Hmm. Well, I think I, I think I'm most proud of, Carrying on Dick Smith's tradition in the medics program, as well as carrying his points of view to other programs. I mean, if you think about why I'm interested or got interested or felt flexible enough to do the international stuff, a lot of it had to do with learning from him and how he how he you know, promoted the medics program, both domestically and internationally. And And he also. Lot of people don't remember that when he left the Peace Corps, he was assigned by J- Johnson, Lyndon Johnson, to desegregate the U.S. hospital system
0: in the deep the south Boston
1: for Medicare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he did that. His life was threatened many times, but anyway, he just had uh, such a great way of of meeting uh, people, putting forth their ideas, making them stronger, you know what I mean, and being extremely culturally competent in doing that. So uh anyway i'm I'm especially happy to uh, enable and and it, even at MedX because when I came to medics I was I a director and a medical director that really hadn't been physicians very long you know sort of how do you deal with difficult people like that between thinking about how I learned from two people who aren't anything alike but one is one was my father who could talk anybody into anything <laughs> And was famous for that and or as people said you can make your friends do things they would never in their right mind have done mm-hmm. which is a good skill if you work in pa programs right absolutely anyway and also so dick smith those are you know two people to sort of take their their work goals j- just their ways of operating uh, and you you could apply that it actually makes you pretty safe in, intellectually or not threatened to in, it helps to do international stuff. It helps to go into some new place where you've never been uh, before. And uh, so a lot of places I've been, I would never have guessed. So I'm I'm especially proud of that. I'm proud of getting the medics program back into the School of Medicine from the School of Public Health. Okay. Because it, I don't think it would have survived. Not because there was anything bad about the School of Public Health. We just didn't fit in their culture. Mm-hmm. And then I think... I'm especially proud of all the people I've mentored, men, women, PAs, yeah. uh, over time, and I hear from a lot of people, even if it's just an email updating me about what's going on with them or, yeah. or something like that, because I just think the people that we choose for PA school, in terms of at least medically, I think our processes are are correct, and uh, we're picking the right the right people, and so working on that. So, and I were I do worry sometimes that. Some of the newer program leaders don't know that. I, I, I would like to see the EAEA do something about that. But, you know, yeah. buy a couple of us old farts to talk about that because it's that's something you can put or write down legally. I wouldn't write it down. I don't think. But
0: anyway. <laughs> well, I think I think if you think about the uh, the concept of the coaching tree, you know, your tree is vast. The right. the number of people that you have mentored that became program directors that are scholars that are respected in our profession is is incredible. And if you think about the culture as you described it coming up, how collaborative it was at the beginning. The DNA of our profession is very collaborative for the educational tree, mm-hmm. and and I've seen that. With all the people you've mentioned, Jim Hammond, Rod Hooker, you know Jim Colley, mm-hmm. um, Tony Miller, Anita Glicken. Right. Uh, it's always been about us, not just about my program. Right. So, And I think you all deserve a lot of credit for setting the stage that way.
1: Well, thank you. I think those, those are both things that came uh, from Dick and my dad. The, those are points of view of each of them that they really... Valued the various individuals that were, you know, in the trenches with them, wherever yeah. that, wherever that was. And That's good leadership. It is, and it, and it even was kind of fun, despite whatever the trauma was. So there you go.
0: Ruth, thank you so much. This has been really insightful, really helpful for our audience, and and I just am so thankful for your time and talents with the podcast. It's to have somebody like you to share your time is really really a special treat. So, I wish you the very best in the coming year, and and thank you again.
1: Thank you.
0: Appreciate it. Well, we want to thank our guest, Miss Ruth Baldwick, for her tremendous insights into not only the creation of our profession here in the United States, but also the work that she's been doing internationally and the incredible stories she had to share about the way she grew up. Tune in next week as we speak with Ian Jones, as we discuss the development of the PA profession in Canada. Until next time, We wish you success with whatever path you are walking in life and thank you for joining us. The purpose of this podcast is to provide news and information on the PA profession and is for informational purposes only. The news and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of the University of Arizona.